welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. I'm Simon Craft, and who am I joined by? How does it feel to tweet me like you do? It's Ben Aspinall. And we will be joined later on in the pod by the editor of the Wigan fanzine Mudhutter uh, to preview the Wigan game, which is very exciting. So if you are only wanting to hear that preview, perhaps you're a Wigan fan, perhaps you're a uh, glory hunter who's just jumping on the York City bandwagon for the televised game, uh, just check the episode notes. We will have the, the timings on that. But yeah, we are going to start by by looking back on Saturday's eventful one-all draw at Maidenhead. Um, now, Ben, you made the uh, fairly arduous journey down to Maidenhead. Mm. Um, um, yeah, it wasn't uh, plain sailing, sad to say. Massive train delays in West Yorkshire meant that I had to run across Bradford to catch uh, an alternative train to Leeds. Uh, had to catch the next, uh, my advanced single, um, meant that I had to beg to go onto the subsequent train to King's Cross. And then the trains between Paddington and Maidenhead, the, the fast direct, the fast train were all being cancelled during the course of the day. So I had to get the commuter Elizabethan line. Is it Elizabeth, Elizabeth or Elizabeth, Elizabethan line? <laughs> I think it's the Elizabeth line. I, I like the idea of the Elizabethan line where you have to dress like you're from the uh, 16th century. It's a very, very peculiar training experience, just watching people uh, dress with those little thrilly neck things. But anyway, um, Maidenhead's a very strange place. They've basically knocked down the entire old town, replacing it with flats for uh, commuters to London to live in. So, yeah, all in all, a very strange experience getting to the Ramshackle Stadium. And then watch one of the most bizarre games of football I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, well, let's talk about that bizarre game of football. So, talk about the lineups first of all. Um, well, the big news beforehand was that we've actually signed a left back. So, yes, Luke Daly, in on loan from Huddersfield, uh, came straight into the team at left back in place of Latty Fairweather. Uh, we also had Lionel John Lewis return to the team in place of the injured Deparkinyemi. Um, so that was the only two changes for York. The other thing I noticed immediately was the uh, the name of the referee. Admittedly, ah. partly because his name was Aspinall. So it was a certain Richard Aspinall. Mm. And yeah, his name rang a bell because I was like, I'm sure he ruined a game earlier in the season. So, and you were like, no, that's the other Aspinall that I know well, from York City. Well, yeah, I mean, the jokes just write themselves, don't they? Aspinalls have been ruining York City games for, for decades now, haven't they, really? But... Um, you say that, but very quickly to interject, my wife um, came to London for the weekend with me. She was in the hotel room. She woke up from a snooze uh, to find on Twitter that um, people were swearing, saying, like, you know, um, F off Aspinall. You've ruined, and, uh, you know, you've ruined the game for York. And for a split second, she thought, oh, God, what's been done? <laughs> what's he done this time? Yeah. But no, it was uh, it was Richard Aspinall. We assume no relation. I don't check. No, it's not worth it, is it? But um, nope. Yeah, I did do the research, and it was the Rochdale game at home where he awarded them two penalties uh, and also sent off Adam Crooks. I mean, luckily, Simon. You know, I know we're jumping ahead here, and I appreciate it a bit all over the place. But you told me that information, didn't you, after the unsavoury incident involving Woody? Uh, that yeah, this was the referee from Rochdale at home who had a, a disaster class in officiating. And I told one or two people, uh, I don't think, it, it pops, other people probably heard it from their friends as well, but that spread on the terrace like wildfire. It's that joker from Rochdale at home. Ugh. Uh, so I've watched the highlights back. 
to be honest, it wasn't the best quality picture because there seemed to be um, a bit of glare going on. Uh, I mean, Dave Ward on the commentary mentioned that uh, we had the advantage of their keeper having the, the sun shining right in his eyes first half. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we didn't actually take advantage of that by having any real shots on target. But um, But yeah, that was also affecting my view of the game. Um, but it seemed like Maidenhead had the better of the early exchanges without sort of creating any real clear chances. It seemed like um, Ashley Nathaniel George was causing us quite a lot of trouble on the wing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, not quite having the end product to back it up. Is that how you saw the start of the game? You've um, nailed it exactly right there, Simon. Uh, Maidenhead started brighter than we did. But before the red card happened, the game was starting to crystallise a little bit. We were starting to play a little bit better. Uh, Woodyard has that effort that goes just over the bar. It looked didn't look too close on the highlights, but um, from the other end of the ground, it definitely did look like it wasn't too far away. We weren't playing amazingly well. Um, one or two performances weren't quite up to scratch at that point in the game before Woodyard's red card. We were starting to get back into it. We were starting to, it was starting to crystallise a bit. And it was starting to settle, and it could have gone in any direction based on you know players' performances and tactics and and so on. Um, you're right about the number eight, and you've, you've, you've got it completely correct. He, he was very nippy, quick, good feet, but just no real end product. It was an interesting start for young uh, Luke Daly on, in a left-back position, but he seems to do okay, I think. Um, but yeah, if, if he has asked me for an early standout from those opening exchanges, it was definitely yeah, the number eight for me in the head. Yeah, you mentioned the Woodyard chance, which it probably is the best chance before the red card, um, where... Their defender sort of makes a very baffling clearance mm. um, straight to Woodyard, just on the edge of the box. And I don't think it's a bad effort. It's not too far high and wide. But yeah, he was involved in the next bit of action on 19 minutes when he um, <clears throat> goes in for a tackle over near the touchline. I was listening on the on Dave Ward's commentary and wasn't expecting the um, the red card to be mentioned. Dave Ward was sort of saying, "Oh, you know, uh, looks like he's he might actually be going in the book here," and seeming even surprised at that. And then, and then, yeah, it was red. What was your sort of reaction in the ground? Well, we were too far away from it to get a proper, you know, unbiased opinion on it. We were just completely confused. The only thing that we did notice was that when the incident happens, there was no like immediate rush to the referee from the Maidenhead players. It just seemed like, oh, there's going to be a bit of talking to here, possibly. The definition of an orange card, if there is, you know, if such a thing, and just sheer exasperation at the fact that you know Woodyard has got himself in this position. But we all blame the referee. We we all felt it was a very unjust decision um, based on the immediate reaction and the fact that the player got up relatively well and was okay to play on with it, play on in the game. Very very strange one. So early in the game, as I say, just it was starting to settle. A lot of very very angry people on the terrace, and now in the you know in the streaming world. You know, um, clips of the red card were being sent to people's WhatsApps very quickly. Um, I got one. I was able to share it with one or two uh, friends uh, behind the goal. And because of the camera angle isn't great either, you know, you, you kind of see what you want to see, don't you? I, I think maybe Woodyard does go over the ball, perhaps. But I don't know. It's just something about it. It just it reminds me of a uh, docking away of uh, John Lewis's red as well. Yeah, I was going to make that comparison because it's similar in that if you look at it from a certain angle, you can sort of see how it's given because I think his foot maybe does go over the ball, but there's no real malice in it, and it's not there's not a huge amount of sort of speed or force in the tackle. 
it's literally maybe just the position of the foot. The other big thing I'd add to that, Simon, is I think you're completely correct, but also it probably has no bearing on the official official decision. But Woodyard's looking at the ball and the ball only. He's not looking up. He's not looking at the man. He's not going to think he's going to do him. He's going for the ball. He's watching the ball. It's just it's frustrating that Woodyard has put himself in that position, and make, you know, given that referee decision to make. But I think, uh, you know, upon reflection, he can consider himself a bit unlucky. But then, yeah, unsurprisingly after that, uh, Maidenhead continued to dominate in terms of chances at least and still mostly attacking down the right. Um, they yeah. had a few decent chances that are worth mentioning. Uh, there's one where there's a bit of skillful play by Barrett to get into the box and then his shot just clips Callum Howe and, and flies not very far over the bar. Yeah, that was definitely worrying behind the goal. That was one we thought, here we go. Because the the die had been cast in that first half. Um, it was chance after chance for Maidenhead. But you knew once one goes in, it's game over. But if we can just hang on, if we can just get to half time, because the other frustration was not only were the chances coming from Maidenhead, I'm sad to say there's just one or two players that weren't quite with it. I think like Maz going off that early for Latte Fairweather and then John Lewis coming off at half time. They weren't quite at the races, which you can forgive, but when it's 10 men, everyone needs to be on it and everyone needs to be giving 110% to make up. I love Kuya, but he just he wasn't having one of his good days, unfortunately. I think he was a bit bamboozled by the whole occasion of, you know, we're gonna have to play a bit stricter with 10 men. He just wasn't getting his tackles in. He wasn't when he did get tackled, he wasn't keeping the ball. So, you know, scoop your, you know, scoop yourself down, scoop yourself off. We'll try again, you know, again in front of the cameras on Friday against Wigan. But yeah, this is one where we needed everyone to be on it. And in that first half, there was players that just weren't, unfortunately. There was a couple more chances for Maidenhead before half time. There was a decent shot from Nathaniel George about 20 yards out, uh, flies wide of the far post. And then Nathaniel George again was bringing the ball into the box after a short corner. Ball found its way to Smith, whose shot was saved, I think, at the near post by Sykes Kenworthy. So certainly um, it could have been worse at half time. We're going in a man down, but yeah, still level. And yeah, as we mentioned, made the couple of subs. In fact, we made all our subs. So so Maz came <laughs> off for Latifair with her before half time. And then uh, Paddy and Ollie Dyson came on for Green and John Lewis. Do you think this was a change of system or was it just sort of freshening things up? Um, I think it was more freshening things up than anything else. I think Green can count, count himself unlucky. I don't think what happened was a reflection on him. I just think Adley wanted a different type of central midfielder in there. Dyson and McLaughlin both have their critics, and you know we've discussed them both at length at, at points during the season on this pod. But I think what you can say about them both is, even when it's not happening and there's a lack of quality, there's always effort. And when it comes down to 10 versus 11, you need every ounce of effort, you know, to uh, to be left out there on the field. And obviously, two pairs of fresh legs. Um, I know it, during a halftime break, they were on the field, on the on the touchline, being put for their paces by the coaching staff. So a plan had been put in place for definite, uh, definitely by, by Ardley to see what we could do in the second half. I guess there's one other thing to mention that happened just before halftime, which was, as I understand it, um, Sykes Kenworthy... <clears throat> We know he's good bringing the ball out of his box, his distribution, but also maybe acting is another one of his uh, <laughs> strong suits. So this isn't including the highlights, but this is what you get when you actually, you know, when you manage to drag yourself to a, to a game. I wanted to bring it up because it was a very amusing, but also damning incident where I think um, it was in stoppage time, if not just before stoppage time. Um, their player Barrett, I think it was, Sai, if you look at the match report, he tries to challenge uh, Sykes Kenworthy, who's catching the ball. 
the old shoulder to shoulder when you know following a, a bouncing ball in. Uh, GSK goes down, pretending to have a head injury. Physio comes on a lot, and the referee, uh, our friend Mr. Aspinall, completely buys it. And uh, yellow cards Barrett with just an absolute shocking decision. We don't often talk about decisions that go in York's favour with such great, you know, that is that are very, very lucky like this. But the reason I wanted to bring it up was it just showed up just the ridiculousness of the competency of this referee. Uh, we try and be fair to match officials when they're good, they're good. But at this level, you can get some absolute stinkers. Um, we were infuri- infuriated with this ch- chap after the Rochdale match. And it was the same again on Saturday. You try not to get too cliche, but at times it really felt like 10 versus 12. It, um, however, stuff like that happens and it redresses the balance. It makes you realise, ah, they're not biased. They're just not very good. So um, fair play to, to GSK. Some excellent S-housery uh, to get their player booked. Um, and if I remember correctly, I don't think Barrett saw at the end of the match. I think he was subbed off. Such was the uh, frustration with getting himself involved in such a stupid situation. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Barrett didn't last too much longer. Yeah, he was taken off a few minutes into the second half for uh, Sean Mikulski, which I thought was an excellent name. <laughs> and he had the next chance, which was, again, it's Nathaniel George. Again, it came from a short corner and there wasn't anyone on him. This seemed to be a ploy they were doing, which we hadn't really <laughs> figured out. Um, so he was given too much space and put a cross in, which found uh, the head of Mikulski from fairly close range, but he just, I think maybe it was moving a bit too fast um he mm. headed it wide couldn't quite direct it um but another decent chance and then another one from uh, nathaniel george himself when he cut inside follow field but then dragged his shot well wide from only about eight yards out so it, it did feel like he was causing a lot of us a lot of problems but just not able to um apply the finishing touch no you're absolutely right there simon you nailed it perfectly he was um dangerous it was remarked upon with the friends I was with, that he was playing very, very well. But there was just a, you could tell there was a lack of an end product there. Um, good to watch, you know, value for, bang for your buck, the the admission fee. But yeah, there was no end product, I'm sad to say. I'm happy to say, actually. <laughs> Next thing to talk about is the penalty, which arrived on 69 minutes. Not nice. <laughs> not, not nice at all, no, on this occasion. So the penalty came about when Asare was bringing the ball forward out of defence from his own half. Wasn't really closed down at all. Now, we will mention some of the good backs to the walls defending, but there were a couple of occasions when it felt like we were maybe not pressing players as much as we should be and letting them run through the defence a bit, and this was one of them. Um, So he brought it forward quite a way, then slipped it through to Mikulski. Uh, Sykes came where he rushes out and brings him down. Definitely a penalty, I thought, watching it back. Apart from the potential that it could have been offside. wasn't very clear on the uh No, it's miles off, Simon. It's miles off. You think? Yeah, pause the highlights. I've got it in front of me. When the ball's passed, Howe and Cordner have stepped up wonderfully. Yeah, okay, Cordner's let the man go, but he's let him go into an offside position. It's ridiculous officiating once again. He's miles offside. But, hey, it is what it is at this level, isn't it? And it is a penalty. Um, Sykes Kenworthy does take the man down. Uh, it's not. It's not a red card. Thank goodness. We were worried about that when uh, the decision was made. GSK immediately redeemed himself. So yeah, George, George Sykes Kenworthy, more like George saves penalty. Yep, we can go with that. Yep, I've got no issues with that whatsoever. Yep, is that the worst joke that's been on this podcast so far? 
so far today, but you know, we're only about 20 minutes into the recording, so you never know, That's Simon. Still time. Um, but yeah, GSK pulled off the save. I think it was a good height for him, as the cliche goes. It's it's down to his right, but definitely a decent save, and he gets a firm hand on it to um, you know, get it well clear of danger. Mm. One thing I was interested at in is why the referee then starts like telling Sykes Kenworthy off for celebrating the save. I would love to know that as well, Simon. It's a great pick pick up on the highlights because yeah, you can see him pointing at Sykes Kenworthy and admonishing him for something. I mean, I can't th- I can't even guess what it is because you think, oh, it was he off his line. Well, if he's off his line, then it's a retake. So yeah, I think um, unfortunately, uh, Mister Dick Aspinall was trying to make it all about himself. Unfortunately, that um, brief moment of respite didn't last long because a couple of minutes later, uh, we did go a goal down. Um, and again, it was Maidenhead allowed to bring the ball forward a bit too easily. I'm not sure if it was Asari again. I couldn't tell from the highlights. It sort of seemed like we won it back through a combination of Callum Howe and Ollie Dyson, but then somehow he still ends up coming away with the ball. Um, and then, yeah, the ball finds its way to that man, Nathaniel George. Mm. He takes a shot and takes a fairly wicked deflection off Ryan Fallowfield to wrong foot Sykes Kenworthy and go into the near post. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess that was maybe the only way he was he was going to score was if he uh, got one deflected in. It, you know, it's always a bit of a um, crushing blow when you've you've been backs to the wall, you've been defending with ten men, you've even saved a penalty, and then and then one flies in after a deflection. How did you see this one in the ground? It was so soon after the penalty save as well. That was what was so heartbreaking. It was a couple of minutes. Um, you couldn't quite. I couldn't quite tell the wicked deflection um, live. Um, you can very much see it on the highlights. Poor Fallowfield, he didn't deserve that. He had a really, really decent game once again. But yeah, I, I guess uh, from that point, we did think sinking feeling. Um, and you're going to come on to the, the chance next, aren't you, for Minhead when they hit the bar as well. So you are thinking, please don't let the floodgates open. They had like obnoxious um, teenage supporters behind the goals, giving it the big one. You know, the ones who probably weren't going to go to the... Um, Spurs game because they weren't playing until Sunday, that sort of vibe. So you're just saying, I can't believe we're going to let this tin pot team beat us with the referee's help. But yeah, we're 1 0 down. And at that point, you think oh, it's just going to be one of those frustrating afternoons. But we did maybe start throwing caution to the wind a little bit because we had started having a few chances after this. Uh, so we had a header from Callum Howe, which just went wide um, after he'd connected with a Scott Burgess free kick. Bit of a precursor to the uh, to the equaliser with, with those two linking up. <laughs> yeah, Maidenhead still threatened as well. You mentioned their effort to hit the bar, which was uh, Casey Pettit shot from about 25 yards. It's a bit of a weird one because it never really looks like it's in any danger of going in, but it does dip onto the mm. bar. So No, you're right there, Simon. It's a dropper, isn't it? It drops onto the bar and worries you. Sykes Kenworthy is very much stretching for that one, so he's he's worried. But yeah, that's when you're thinking, oh God, here it comes. What did come was the <laughs> equaliser in the 86th minute. This was mint. I just want to say that right now, before we talk about the goal, this was one of my highlights of the season. This was ace. So yeah, let's let's talk through how it comes about. So I want every detail, please, Simon. I want you to break this right down because I love this. Okay, you want to want you want me to watch the highlights back on not 0.25 speed <laughs> in stunning high definition yeah the highlight's quite dark at this point as well so um yeah hard to quite <laughs> make out what's going on but it definitely starts with a long throw from Cardner, and that sort of 
contested and then it ends up going back out to Cordner, who passes in field to Ryan Fallerfield, who then does a little touch to, to Burgess, who's sort of got his back to goal near the area. And then he, Burgess does a lovely little touch um, around the defender. And then his next touch is a looping cross, goes all the way over the keeper and finds Callum Howe rushing in at the far post to bundle the ball home. And yeah, I, I can imagine the uh, the scenes in the away end were, were something to behold. Yep, I'm somewhere in that melee. I'm I'm in there. Uh, but yeah, just just to, to break this down, um, the pass from Fallowfield to find Burgess is lovely. Burgess is touched to take it away from the defender. Out of context, looks bizarre. Why is he doing that? It makes perfect sense when you see what he does next. That chip cross to the far post is absolutely delicious. I have not had chips that nice since Weatherby Whaler. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Far post, and I can just see it in my mind's eye now from where I was still behind the goal. That intake of breath, the uh, one or two way fans going, go on. And then the panicked look on the goalkeeper's face. He turns and rushes to the far post, knowing that he's got no idea who's behind him and who's coming in. How does really well stick a leg out and guide it in and bundle it? The bundle, great word, Simon, exactly what he does. He bundles it home. And I'll be honest, I'm stood next to that terrace at the back, waiting for the excuse to head back to the craft beer bar, which is on the corner from the, from the ground. I was waiting for 2 0. I was waiting for that reason to leave. And by goodness, they gave me a reason to stay. A fantastic goal. Jumped into the melee. Some guy next to me accused me of not celebrating hard enough, which is a new one for York City. Uh, but, you know, fair enough. Maybe I wasn't quite being all limbs. I was still celebrating, though. Superb. Just absolutely superb. Um, we should talk about Scott Burgess's record for assists. Since oh, he's please. Come back yes, I'd love because to. Because I've seen different figures banded around, but it seems like he's got at least seven by now. Um, and yeah, roughly about one every 90 minutes that he's been on the pitch, which is, you know, that's that's good numbers by anyone's standards. But when you compare it to, you know, his rivals for a place in the team, people like Kai Kennedy, who I don't think has a single assist to his name yet, then yeah, the Burge just sort of continues to go from strength to strength. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was thinking, weirdly, um, thinking about this on Sunday when I was walking through central London. I just get so confused by the Burge because he had such an iffy first season with the, you know, the ASCII sacking and then the new management team coming in, loans out. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, it's just a signing that's not worked out. And then this preseason, he got given a chance and everyone was being so disparaging about, oh, we've had the Ugolution and now we're playing these bit part players from last season who couldn't get into the Conference North team. And he came on, it was a Dagenham game, wasn't it, when he had that fantastic second half cameo, changed the game, just played really, really well. And he's pretty much been, I'd say, in probably two thirds of the game since then, if not more. He's been really, really great. And yet still, in my mind's eye, I don't want to criticise the lad in any way. I still think of him as quite slight and quite, you know, easy to bully off the ball. Um, I wouldn't have him in a midfield battle. I wouldn't have him on the wing. I wouldn't have him up front. I don't know where I'd play him. And yet here he is getting assists and, you know, obviously against Fowler, he got a goal. He's he's doing it when he's been asked to do it. And you really can't say fairer than that. And yet, I still don't know if he makes it into the team when Batsy's fit and if we've got a fit Woodyard. It's absolutely incredible. It's thrown me for uh, you know, thrown me for sake. I've got no idea how to interpret uh, the Burgess form uh, since he's forced his way into the team. It's, it's incredible. But yeah, we made it through to full time, held on for a one-all draw. And yeah, I guess if you'd been offered that on 20 minutes when we'd gone down to 10 men, you absolutely would have taken it. I think we'd said last week you were hoping 
for all three points based on you know trying to put some form together against the teams around us but in the context of what happened and how the game went i think you've got to be uh, you've got to be pretty delighted with a with a draw really the cliche isn't it where you, you get a late goal like that it feels like a win and it's absolutely felt like a win i've not felt like that for a long long time um you know snatching a draw in such circumstances and then in the cold light of day the frustration is um, you know, let's not go in on Woodyard too hard, but let's just say, had he not had that moment, had we kept 11 men on the field, we could have beaten this lot because there was a real lack of quality from a lot of their players during the course of the 90 minutes. Yeah, I think what's heartening about it is, you know, after the Hartlepool game, people were saying the players aren't, you know, working, they're not putting in the effort. That definitely wasn't the case on Saturday because mm. there might not have been a huge amount of quality. Maidenhead definitely had more chances, but... It certainly sounds like, you know, the team put a shift in. But let's have a look at the uh, responses we had on Twitter to this game. So Dave Olsen said, so he starts off by talking about Woodyard's red card. said, I thought it looked bad in real time, to be honest, although I was 80 yards away. But watching it back, it's a yellow at worst. Performance after that was good. Limited them to only a couple of real chances. Dyson was much better today than he has been all season, too. Another tweet from Liam Holmes, who says, watched on the stream, red card was a joke nobody gets. How uncoordinate, <laughs> immense. Ardley had to work, work, work to get them going forward when losing 1-0. Some crossed by Burgess. Never happy with a point anywhere in this league, before a game, but I'm afterwards today. And one from Ben YCFC Sankey. We didn't show much before the red, to be fair, so we'll take the point. Defended well on the whole. Can't remember many clear-cut chances for Maidenhead. Uh, yeah, which I think backs up what we said. That, you know, if if a team's got 11 men against 10 and you sort of can count the clear chances on, on one hand, then you must have been doing something right defensively, even if mm-hmm. part of it might be explained by their lack of quality in the final third. So looking at the last few league games as a whole... We sort of said that we had a slightly more favourable run of fixtures coming up after the Halifax game, which was four games against Fylde, Hartlepool, Oxford City and Maidenhead. Now, we ended up with seven points from those four games. Obviously, we had a real stinker of a performance in the middle in terms of the Hartlepool game. But do we think that's a decent return? Obviously, seven points from four games is, you know, sort of upper mid-table form. Are we happy with with how things have gone in the last few weeks overall? Yeah, I think reasonably so. I think the problem is we haven't got a proper measurement of where we are because Oxford City were quite abject and the Maidenhead game, you can't you can't really measure it because it wasn't a normal game. You can be heartened by the spirit that the players showed to get the point, but they played a particular way to try and get that result as opposed to try and win the game. So I think we've reacted well since the Hartlepool debacle, possibly as well as we could have done, uh, especially in the circumstances thrown at us with, you know, Dippo getting injured, 10-minute maidenhead. So it could have been a bit better. We could have won the game at maidenhead. But four points from the two games since Hartlepool, I- I'm very happy with. Yeah, and obviously, the, if you look at the six games, it's only a 4-0 defeat at Chesterfield, who are, you know, they're going to win this league quite easily. And, you've, and then the Hartlepool, which is starting to look a bit more and more like an anomaly. And if you start to look at the positives, we now have a left-back in place, who I just want to say, had a very good game. There was a point in the second half where I think he was one-on-one with their right-winger, tackled him nicely and built up a counter-attack. 
it's difficult to base off one game and it's difficult um, to base off one game with such bizarre circumstances. But definitely look forward to seeing him uh, in, in future matches for York. Um, such is the um, unprofessionalism of this podcast. Um, I'm not sure if he's cup-tied or available, sorry, to the tie against Wigan. Um, I do hope he is. Uh, we'll soon find out on Friday when um, I turn on TV at about half past seven. But he had a great, he had a really, really good game along with the rest of the defence and he can only get better from there. Once you start getting to a settled um, 11 with one or two players uh, coming back in, like Batty, like uh, Akinyemi and um, a more fit and on form um, Kuya, that's more sad to see what we're really made of. But I've been happy with the reaction since uh, Hartlepool. We've got a couple of weeks off league games coming mm. up. So obviously the big one everyone's looking forward to is Nantwich Town. But before that, <laughs> uh, we've got a, a little game against Wigan. I Athletic. could see that coming. <laughs> I was in a, I'm in a car driving down a dark road with the headlights on and I could just see the big road slam of that joke coming. I could see it. But first, let's have a chat about what's coming up on Friday night. Okay, so coming up next for City on Friday is the very exciting FA Cup second round tie against Wigan Athletic. And we're delighted to be joined by a Wigan representative. Um, So we have Jimmy, who is the editor of the excellent Mud Hutter fanzine. I believe the world's oldest Wigan Athletic fanzine, as the the website states, um, is joining us to give us uh, the lowdown on Wigan. Hi everyone, yeah, um, it's not the oldest, but it's the only one, I think. So it, it emerged from the Co- Cockney Latic, which was like the 80s one, and a uh, bit of discussion at the weekend about that, because uh, we played at Orient, and quite a few of our younger fans are like, I don't recognise anyone in the away end, and it's all these kind of people who, you know, they they, they lived in the, the exile from Wigan from probably, you know, the 70s, 80s, they went down to London, seat for fame and fortune. I'm sure it's the same with York fans as well, and you just get, now it's like the, the kids and the, the grandkids are coming watching us and they've got these cockney accents and they're in the away and everyone's like who are these we don't attract this sort but it's just you know it's a migratory thing i think and yeah it's very very unusual away end because half the away end steaming drunk because they've got the trade down from wigan and the other half are like probably attending one of their only games of the season because they live 200 miles away now but yeah and, and so the cockney latic became the murutter and uh yeah i've been doing that for like about it's nearly 20 years now which is frightening <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, if same old city is still going in in twenty years, we'll be uh, we'll be very pleased with that. Well, speak for yourself, so and I'd be massively disappointed. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that is entirely fair. Um, but yeah, so I think Ben, you've been following Mudhutter for for a while. You've got a bit of a northwest connection, having lived in Manchester. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I, I was seeking out Wigan content, uh, knowing that we were coming to play them. So I thought oh, I'll give that account a follow. But yeah. Um, I guess I came for the Wigan content, but stayed for the uh, craft beer photos that are being posted. Some some lovely, uh, lovely looking cans in there. Um, I'm enjoying a Northern Monk one tonight, but I think you two are both uh, staying dry this evening. That's that's right. Yeah, it's Monday. It's Monday evening, Simon. Try and keep it professional. At least one of us has to. <laughs> I've, 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 yeah, my reputation shattered already. But um, yeah, <laughs> last weekend was a big weekend. Next weekend is going to be another big weekend because I don't normally start on Friday, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> I'm visiting your fine city, so it will. Uh, I'll be not only will I be starting Friday, I'll be starting irresponsibly early, probably. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's, I guess, uh, 
look ahead to the game itself. Seems like Wigan have been kind of uh, either going up or down pretty much every season for the for the last few years. Um, and I understand there's been some off-field stuff happening. Could you give us like sort of a brief pricey of some of the exciting stuff that's uh, that's been that's been going on? Yeah, I think um, to be honest, Simon, even when we're stable off the field, we are very bipolar on it. And um, it's as you say, we're either winning titles off threatening to get relegated uh, I think it's been something like 20 years that we've not had a, a kind of a mid-table season and this year it's looking like we could have a mid-table season but fans are getting pissed off because like we're losing some games and it's like yeah well you, that's what happens when you're in mid-table you win one week you lose the week after and then you draw but yeah it's it's, it's a weird one because I'm sure you're aware of the background I mean I first went to York in the, the 80s watching Wigan and I think then you were bottom of the league, I'm sorry to say, but uh, we were near the top. We were like, in those days, we were like a kind of a, like Walsall and Gillingham. We were kind of pushing for the playoffs, but didn't really have the extra money and the finances even then, you know, because we had a very young side. And um, I, I, I think it's funny how, for me, growing up, York were a similar side to Wigan. And then we obviously went on this journey with Dave Wheel and he put a lot of money in. And it was quite... He wasn't as early as Jack Walker was because Jack Walker put 100 million in and he managed to steal a league title for Blackburn before the money started rolling in. He put similar in as they did up the road in Baltimore. They put a couple of hundred million in and they had a bit of a, you know, they had a few years in at the top end of the Premier League. And I think it was always like, he, he had this dream to take us there. But when he got us there, it's like, oh, now what? And the answer was he just kept pumping money in, eventually got fed up. And whereas he always said, uh, you know, I'll I'll leave the, the, you know, the club in good hands to really solid um owners obviously that was far east set of owners number one and they did they carried on paying the bills for a couple of years and then they just unceremoniously pulled the plug handed the club over to somebody who appears to be a, a ghost by all accounts who apparently bought us for 40 million then disappeared and chuck put us in admin then we had the bahrain lot who came in after nine months in admin and that saw was like plummeting to the, the virgil league too um they came in rescued us and again, it was all very odd. They put lots of money in. They signed loads of experienced players. We romped to a League One title. And then something happened in the summer where the owner just lost interest completely. And, um, you know, we, we literally came in a few hours of going bust again this summer. You know, we're kind of like, we just need to be sustainable. We don't need a billionaire. But bizarrely, there is another billionaire from Wigan who lives in New York, a guy called Mike Danson, who had always been perceived to be a bit of a rugby fan, really. But, um, you know... People have maybe questioned his motives, but the alternative doesn't, doesn't bear thinking about, you know. So I think he's brought in some professional people. There's, the club's still a little bit threadbare on and off the pitch. We're off, a, we're on a transfer embargo. But um, the one thing one of my idols did, probably Roberto Martinez, 10, 15 years ago, is he convinced Dave Whelan to set up an academy. And that's the sort of thing where within the three, two or three seasons, you don't get any payback from that, really. You're looking at getting kids who are like, you know, eight, nine, ten, or we sometimes pick them up early teens from nearby Premier League clubs when they get discarded. And it, it takes years for that to bear fruit. But thankfully, with all the admin and financial difficulties, we've managed to maintain that. And we've literally got a squad half full of academy players. It's nearly all academy players and the experienced ones are, are kind of filling the squad for us now. There is some good experience there still, but... um. It, it's just a real mixed bag and, and these lads have come through the academy and, and the stars and there's two of them in, two or three of them in particular they're going to go for big money and and half of them haven't even played a, a league game before last season and the, now they're playing for England in 21s so it's just a, a bizarre setup and I think at the hub of it all is what I said a couple of minutes ago about us and York in terms of 
you've kind of gone down, haven't you, really? And hopefully you'll come back up soon because I remember you as a league club and you will be again soon. And the, the, there seems to be a trend now of ex-football league clubs eventually making it back and, and hopefully you'll be another one of them soon. But um, for us, it's like, what is our level? Because, you know, we've been in the Premier League, but even then when we were the 10th best club in the country for a year, it's still like people in Wigan still prefer sport, Liverpool, United, and, and of course, all the kids now are supporting City because we're not as good as them. And it's just a shame it happened in that era. Whereas, you know, the towns around us that I'd rather not name, Preston, Burnley and, and that lot up the road, you know, they, they had their success in the sort of 50s and 60s. And it's a bit more sticky generationally, when, whereas we were like, you know, league till 1978. And the game has changed, I'm sure you're all aware, for a number of reasons. So, yeah, where we are now is we've got a cracking young squad. Very inexperienced, but very talented. And, um, yeah, we've had some brilliant results, play some lovely football, but they're also a little bit weak at times as well. There's no real leaders out there. And, as I say, we're in an embargo and we can't sign players for money. So we're, we're, we're lacking a bit of experience. Bizarrely, we've got a keeper like Ben Amos, who is now the, the reserve keeper, because we've got a 19-year-old who's absolutely mint, Sam Tickle. And, um, you know, up front, we've got... Josh McGuinness and Charlie White, like, you know, bloody, you know, they're both knocking on a bit. And they're both, you know, they're both decent enough, but we're, we're tending not to play either of them because they're just the kind of remnants from the old world of, of paying big wages for sort of ageing, experienced players to get us out of League One. So, yeah, that's it really, I suppose, in a nutshell. I'm happy with where we are, you know, for an eight-point deduction. If we didn't have that, we'd be about seventh or eighth in the league. As it is, I think we're 17th or 18th. But so we should have enough to stay up a push on the playoffs is like probably a, it will be too soon for us to go up. Nobody's ever going to turn it down. But, you know, if you got up, if we somehow climb the table, next season would be a disaster again because we just start losing in the championship. We'd be too experienced. So a bit of stability would be nice. Mid-table and a couple of cup runs. But, but yeah, you might put, put a stop to one of those this week. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to what we're expecting from the game. But, um yeah, I don't think York fans are expecting a huge amount given uh, we've got patchy recent form and a few injuries and suspensions to key players. But yeah, it's interesting what you said about sort of Wigan's level and natural level because I think among the York fan base, there's been a bit of a split about is this a big game or not? Because obviously on the one hand, obviously it's a big game, it's on TV. It's, a, it's an FA Cup second round match, which we've not been this far in 12 years. But you've got maybe the younger fans who are saying, well, this is Wigan who won the FA Cup 10 years ago and we remember him as a Premier League team. And then, hmm. like older fans, well, slightly older like us, I can remember us playing Wigan in the league in the 90s. I think when I started following York, Wigan were actually the league below. And then, yeah, generation above even would, would remember Wigan coming up from non-league. So there's sort of a... Um, maybe some fans are in denial about the... Uh, <laughs> how how big a game it actually is for us because they still think that we should be uh, up in in that sort of league. But yeah, it's what's your sort of thoughts on that, Ben? Is it, do you see this as a as a big match in terms of um, you know have we made had any many bigger ones in the last few years? This is the biggest uh, match for us uh, in such a long time, simply because of that twelve year gap that you mentioned of not winning in the FA Cup. This, this, we've not been in the second round since twenty ten, and yeah, we can argue that playoffs you know, semi-finals and finals are bigger in terms of um, what it means for the club. But in terms of prestige, you can't deny the fact that Wigan, in recent memory, have won the FA Cup. And are they coming to the LNER and a competitive fixture? Uh, it is a big game. 
I can see why the um, you know, the old and greying lot are a bit more uh, you know, in denial regarding that. You're absolutely right. But um when you see the, the enthusiasm that um a lot of the supporter accounts on social media are making ahead of this fixture, you know, talking about displays and making noise, I think it's great. Um I, I think it is a big game. Uh, as soon as it was drawn, I know obviously we had the replay against Chester to get through. Um, I know a lot of Wigan lads on social media, they're very much excited with either outcome, with Chester or York, because of the day out potential. I know that, I know it's been changed since to a Friday night, but you know, it's by the by. And yeah, this does uh, have, the ch- have the chance to um, look like, like a proper like, league fixture. You know Wigan are going to bring good numbers, which we can ask Jimmy about in a second, but York have already sold out a very, very good part of their allocation. So, you know, this could be a nice little taster for our players and Bath's supporters to, you know, what it's like to be back in the Football League playing, you know, these uh, established sides again. So, like, with that in mind, Jim, like, like from what you're, who you know, your social circles, etc., like, what numbers are you anticipating we can bring in on, on Friday evening? Yeah, I think because it's a Friday evening, it has probably tailed off a bit. Had it been a Saturday afternoon or whatever, or even maybe a Sunday they would have sold out in a heartbeat. Whatever you would have given us, you know, it would have sold out. And even, I remember playing Stoke a couple of years ago in the third round and they charged a tenner and we took like four or 5,000 to Stoke. There's still like an FA Cup heritage, for want of a better word, but it's it's hard to get to. Nobody can get back on the train. I mean, even me and my good mate, Neil, were coming on the um, supporters coach, but there's one that's leaving nice and early. So, you know, I, I don't know if I've heard they've sold about 1,000, 1,200. So if you've given us whatever, 1,500, 1,800, I expect the bulk of those to go. But I know potential, there could have been a few more t- that you could have given us, and I'm not sure we'll we'll actually need those now. And I think, like I said, it's just just the timing of it. It's a Friday night, and what have you, and it being on telly, and that's just, yeah, yeah just the way it is. But um, but yeah, there'll be plenty up up for a, a good day out in your fine city, and uh, and yeah, and I think people will need a few drinks because if they're anything like me, I am of a nervous disposition, and you know we can look at where the teams are and form and injuries and stuff like that, but. Yes, it's a cup game and form goes out the window to <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah, it's interesting about it being on TV because this is actually the first time we'll ever be live on BBC City. I've never had a, a live game on BBC. I think we've had one on ITV, but it wasn't even shown in Yorkshire. It was a <laughs> Midland <laughs> the, the Midland region, it was away at Oxford or something. Um so yeah, we haven't got really the history of uh, of live terrestrial broadcast, so but yeah, it doesn't seem to have affected the um, the York numbers too much. We seem pretty close to selling out sort of the two main stands, and they've obviously opened up the West Stand now as well. So whether we'll we'll break the record uh, attendance that was set by the Leeds preseason friendly, annoyingly, uh, not sure about that, <laughs> but it should be uh, it should should be good numbers. But yeah, let's look at sort of what we're expecting from the game itself. So I guess the key things in terms of York is that. We're missing probably our best player, Dipo Akinyemi, to injury. Also, Dan Batty is, has been out for quite a while. Wouldn't expect to see him back in midfield, another big player. Uh, Woodyard is going to be suspended. So mm-hmm. it's it's very much going to be a threadbare squad. <clears throat> so I think with that in mind, plus the uh, the fact that we're struggling even in our league and the, you know the, just the difference in, in the pyramid between the two teams, I think uh, most York fans will be happy with putting in a good show of ourselves and a narrow defeat probably would you say that's fair ben yeah i think that's very fair there'll be a good atmosphere and it'll be one of those um you know the first rough challenge will be greeted with like three quarters of the ground giving it a big cheer that sort of fa cup affair i think there'll be a a proper lack of technique and quality from our side unfortunately 
with, with one fit striker, I feel it's going to be very backs to the wall. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's be one for the purists on Friday. I, I, I have to be sad to say because the nature of what we've got left available for Neil Adley to pick as a starting eleven lends itself to direct try and get it up to Lionel John Lewis. Hopefully, it can stick up front and we can try and get something on a counter. So um, it will be interesting to me from from the Wigan side. You, you mentioned like uh, this season, but in a more immediate form. Uh, are the players that are, are going to be missing? Is there anyone we should watch out for? What's the situation uh, over uh, with Wigan? Yeah, I mean, we've got a few that are out injured for a little while, so that who aren't going to be back, but it probably go quite strong, I would have thought. Um, it's just interesting what you say about the style, really, because I think the way you play is the way we get rattled, because we obviously battered Bolton 4-0 on their own patch. We beat Derby on the opening day. We've also beaten Peterborough and Oxford at home, who were two good football inside near the top of the division. And these are all clubs that were better than two years ago, but it's like we've had just, we've, we've fallen back a bit sort of thing. And then meanwhile, we got to place like Stevenage, Burton, Bristol Rovers. Stevenage, as in um, Burton, and, Burton aren't a pretty football <laughs> inside. Stevenage, obviously under Steve Evans, are just as you'd expect. To be fair, we had sendings off in both those games, which didn't help matters. Um, and funnily enough, Steve Evans didn't complain about the ref for once. Um, <laughs> I think he did, actually. I think he did, to be fair. But but yeah, the, the more direct teams seem to rattle us a bit. And I think even Cheltenham, we played them in the league um, a couple of weeks ago. And we started off and we were just zip, zip, zip. They couldn't keep up with us. We were passing all over the park and then missed a penalty. And then they just suddenly grew into the game and they were really cross after cross, long ball, and it, it did it as rattled. And all we did, we started playing back the same way. We started hitting it long, looking for the outlet. So so I think I think we can get rattled, which should give you a, a bit of a, a crumb of inspiration, maybe. So that'll be the interesting dynamic, whether if you get stuck in, we do shy away a bit. Because like I said, they, we've got solid enough lads in midfield, but the two centre, we've got maybe two from three central midfielders. They're 20 years old. The two centre-halves are 20 years old and it, we're crying out in the window to get a bit of experience in the centre midfield and at, at the back. Um, but but yeah, I mean, form has been generally good. We're winning our homes, um, we're drawing away and that's annoying fans. But I'm like, what, what more do you want? You know, that's probably classic form, you know, for a half-decent side. We've got a lad on loan from Fulham called Marshall Godo, who's absolutely terrific. And he's been in the England under 21 setup as well. But he put him on the bench on Saturday and played Callum McManaman. Uh, McManaman, again, an actual FA Cup winner in the squad. He's in his third spell and he's he's never really done it anywhere else other than Wigan. But he's, you know, even though he's in his 30s now, he's, he's, his trickery is immense. Did he get man of the match in the, in the FA he Cup did, yeah. final? Yeah, yeah I can yeah. remember him having a really good game. It was. It was like the game of his life. But he's still doing bits for Wigan now and he's loving it because he, he was at Tranmere when he thought his career was over. And, like Maloney called out to him and he was with the kids for a bit. And this year, he's even if he just plays the last 30 minutes, he, he's still an exciting, explosive player. And um, so we're very solid, like Godum and Manaman are good on the wings. The lad up front, Stephen Humphreys, he's more experienced lad. He's done it at like Roxdale and um, I think he started off at Fulham. Um, and he keeps missing penalties. So I don't think he'll be taking one should we get one because he's missed the last two. But he's got this little thing where he, he just wriggles past the defender on the end of the box and slots it home. He's got a really decent shot on him. So, But he's basically, he's not really an outright number nine, but we're not playing with one. Like I said, Charlie White, he's just been completely ostracised now, which I feel for a bit because what he's been through, you've got to think... Um, his mental health as well as his physical health has probably been affected by the whole um, nearly dying thing. Um, but the the stories are that he's, you know, there's some issues with him like behind the scenes. So 
you know, not maybe not setting the right example, which again, I get why his head might not be completely screwed on. But uh, and then we got Josh McGuinness, who's just like a giant battering ram up front, like, and he's but the the lad up front who's exciting, who we'll probably see on Friday, is um is Josh Stones, and he, he's a Yorkshire lad. I think we signed him from Geisley, he's very young age, but he's a terrific prospect. And and again, it's just our academy again. The we obviously talked him into signing when other clubs are after him. And two years later, he's now starting to break into the first team. And he'll probably be our first choice number nine next year. And and he is a proper centre forward. You know, he's only 19, but he's a big, he'll put himself about. And he's always looking to shoot. And he's, he's just a, a cracking young lad. So, you know, I think even if we play a weakened side, which I don't think we will, the weakened side is very often more experienced, if you see what I mean, because mm-hmm. the lads who have got a bit of experience behind them don't always get in the team. The, key, the keeper's 19. Charlie Hughes, got to mention him. You know, he's he's more or less the de facto captain. He's not the captain, but um, he's, he's, he came in the first team at 18 last year. He's now 19, playing for England under 20s, under 21s. And by all accounts, he's, he's looking like somebody like the next John Stones. You know what I mean? We'll probably get another year out of him and then hopefully cash in for big money. He's just a tremendous player. He's got, he's got a lot for a young centre-half. But then I bet he could still get rattled by some old growler. I don't know if you got up front, but uh, <laughs> he can still. We st- because of the way we play, because we pass it out from the back and we sometimes invite pressure on, I think our defence can get a little bit rattled sometimes. And obviously we play with wing-backs and they charge up the field. So we can be um, a little bit exposed. But um, but yeah, it, it's like even you, you might look at it and think, oh yeah, they're, they're all young players, but we've been doing that all season. and They've, they've been holding their own. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, we, we will wait and see, I guess. Yeah, we well up front for us because we've only got one striker who's fit and available uh, at present is going to be Lennel John Lewis, who I guess you could describe him as old, and he's definitely a handful for defenders, but he's not been in in brilliant form. His, his touch seems to have deserted him a little bit in recent weeks. Yeah, I guess in terms of other names you might know in the York team, we should have David Stockdale in goal, um, who is actually our second choice at the moment, but the um, the first choice is, is cup tied. But yeah, Ben, what are you sort of expecting from this game? Are you, are you going to be bold enough to go for a prediction? Or I think you're going to be watching on TV, aren't you? So yeah, um, due to due to plans, I'll be watching. Uh, I'll be watching from home on on Friday. Um, I'll kindly let some uh, day tripper have my seat in the uh, in a south stand. So um, I think it's to be back to the wall. I think um, the two division difference in the pyramid will tell over ninety. But um, as I said before, I think there'll be a few early little niggles, little challenges, just to get the the home fans into it, get the young lads behind the goal, just to you know make some more noise. We're not we're not a particularly rough team, despite despite some odd red cards this season. I don't think we have any cloggers um, per se, but I think um, we've got a bit of non-league know-how, haven't we, with players like Callum Howe and Tyler Cordner in defence. So we'll have to see. Any joy is going to be coming from set pieces and counter attacks. So I'd I'd love to get a draw and I'd love to take it back um, to Wigan uh, and I'll get across to that replay on a on a cold December night. But uh, now, based on what you said earlier, Simon, I, I think I agree. Um, I think a narrow defeat, um, possibly something like a one nil scrappy, awful goals conceded, and it just kind of goes, it kind of deflates from there. Lack of our top striker will really hurt us. I don't think it's going to be um, getting you know too many replays on the eye player in the in the weeks following. Yeah, I see. Uh, a glorious failure, one nil defeat. Yeah. What about you, Jimmy? What What were you expecting from this game? Do you think it'll be a comfortable one? I guess it's hard to know when you've uh, not seen York play, but I guess most Wigan fans will be expecting a fairly comfortable win on the night. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from that era where I was so protective of like Roberto Martinez. I was at the nine one when we got battered at like good, we were really good, and when we were bad, we were terrible. And uh, I do worry that Maloney's got that same soft underbelly. So I'm never confident, you know. And I think we're due a bad result and the fume to come off it really. And 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 this could be it, you know. But, um, I can't, I'm not going to back against my own team, but it wouldn't be surprised if he did somehow sneak a one nil. Um, but but yeah, I'd probably. If if I'm if I'm thinking with my head, I'd probably say the same as you, Ben, in terms of we might be able to scrape a one nil very unconvincingly, so that people still get angry even though we've even won. But um, I think all 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 bets are on really. I I hate giving predictions, and I don't know who's don't know which side are going to turn up. Yeah, I guess that um that about covers the uh, looking ahead to the to the win game. So um yeah, hopefully we will uh, we'll all have a nice uh, evening. Well, those of us in the ground and uh, Ben. Hopefully you'll enjoy the novelty of, of watching watching City Live on the BBC. <laughs> but yeah, um, thanks again, Jimmy, for, for coming on. And uh, do recommend people uh, seek out Mudhutter to get the uh, the full lowdown uh, on Wigan. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention or plug? Yeah, I've got to plug my pie book, um, The Life of Pies. <laughs> it, it was um, there's a story behind it. They were gonna, I got, I've got had 300 in a distributor in in Romford who were gonna sell it for me, and they sold about 12 copies in three years. So they said they wrote to me saying we're gonna pulp your book by the end of October. So I said, oh no, don't do that. And then they actually put it on Twitter saying they're gonna pulp my book. And uh, amid much much piss taking, I actually managed to sell 150 copies. So I've just got the other half I need to sell, but it's a book about pies, travel the country eating pies, um, and it's you know it's, a, it's meant to be humorous. Whether you find it funny or not, I don't know. But it was just something weird that I did. I spent two years traveling the country eating pies in search of the best one, and I'm just selling them off at a fiver a copy. So if anybody wants a good read, then you can get it off www.lifeofpies.co.uk. And because I'm daft, I'm trying to work on a follow-up called a good pie guide. That'll be kind of an official one <laughs> as well, because I'm just stupid like that. And I'll, I'll start quiet because my wife's in the next room and she'll batter me when she finds out. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, uh, so I've always got to plug the pie book. Uh, to my great shame, I did not visit the York um, pie and sausage shop. I did go this year when I was when I was in York. I went for a week with the kids for a bit of a belated birthday celebration for me and they kept telling us to drag me out of the pub to do touristy things, but I'm like, it's my birthday. <laughs> and you've got lots of good pubs in York, I know that much. Um, so, yeah, if, if anybody fancies a, 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 a nice cheap Christmas present or unwanted secret Santa, Santa gift, then just give a life of pies a look up. Um, and the Mudutter's available just on, on the Mudutter website, um, digital or otherwise. You can usually find me on Twitter, arguing over chippy teas and stuff. <laughs> oh yeah that's that's content we can all get behind and yeah i'm sold on life of pies just on the title alone uh, <laughs> that, is, that is excellent work uh but yeah thanks again for coming on um and yeah i hope you enjoyed the uh game on friday night and the uh alehouses of york if you get a chance to uh to sample any and we look forward to seeing some uh cans and pie pictures on on twitter on friday afternoon evening before the game definitely absolutely trembling madness and uh, a few other places i think will be uh oh sampled and uh yeah and and genuinely i can say this because you're not in the same league as us but best to look for the rest of the season and hope you can you know eventually get back to the uh, football league well thanks as always for listening to same old city uh we hope everyone enjoys the cup game on friday night whether you'll be at the ground or watching along at home um, now we have been in negotiations for us two to be the uh, commentary team on BBC for that game, but unfortunately Ben's demands for his rider were just uh, 
deemed to be to be excessive so those negotiations have broken down listen all i'll say is i just don't like blue m&ms but yes we will give our reaction to the wigan game in the next episode but until then keep the faith <laughs>